Hello, this is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming on live online at WVEW.org. Today you're listening to Indigo Radio every Sunday at noon, deepening understanding, making connections. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook, Indigo Radio, and Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and the guests, not our not not the radio station. <laughs> Sorry, little. Um, I'm Becca Polk. I'm a teacher in Springfield, Vermont, and also a graduate and professor in the Spark Teacher Education Institute. Um, and I'm Kelly Juno, and I'm also a Spark graduate, and I teach third grade in Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Marisa Nielsen. I'm also a Spark graduate and teacher, and I teach second grade in Springfield, Vermont. So it is September, and today we are doing a back-to-school special. We will be talking about the challenges of building community in our schools, and if that is even possible in a world that encourages competition and divisions. We'll speak with a student about their organizing efforts in Montpelier and to teachers about their thoughts on classroom community and school structures that either support or go against the schools we want for our children. So we are going to start today with somebody who will help us frame the show, who I think can say this, who's far more articulate than us. Um, So this is a clip of a lecture given by Toni Morrison in Chicago in 1991 what they seem to me to say. Our system of education produces unashamedly, and is very pleased to say so, buyers, consumers who are being educated to serve and sell to other people who buy. To these students, there seems to be no other point to education or the acquisition of knowledge. And if that is the case, they ask, outside of a job and dinner conversation of what value is knowledge. If that's the case, one can see and understand the smoldering, unquenchable, although sometimes deeply buried anger in the minds and frequently the work of student populations at the uselessness of their own intellect. Imagine the shock their trauma upon learning there's no better reason to learn than to sell or buy. This shock, which can occur in the fourth grade, the senior year of high school, the junior level in college and postgraduate life, accounts for acute despair, a prospect so bleak that they dread but are prepared to turn to profit, to war, to crime or violent entertainment to give themselves the adrenaline that proves they are alive, or chemicals to protect them from harrowing, hollow life. They argue, worry about, and describe everything from campus rape to homelessness, from banking theft to racial harassment, and try as we might to erase it that picture of the supine body of a young man in Los Angeles 
dances in all our dreams. We live in a country and have since the 50s, which seems permanently based on a war economy. The 26% of the budget that goes to defense increases to 50%, even with the cuts, if that figure includes costs of retirement, covert operations of intelligence monitoring, and so on. In that worldview, the state must have and must create regular wars to justify itself and a permanent invader or invading crisis. Now that the East-West confrontation is defanged, the North-South one emerges like the second act of a theater piece. And although the invader rhetoric of the last 40 years has been East-West, the blood that has been shed has been North-South. Attacks upon the third world for control of their resources, their labor, and their markets. If the risk of a first-rate, humane, democratic education is the creation of a thoughtful, intelligent population that understood and actively criticized the contempt in which we are held, then it's clear why it can't take that risk, why it must continue to pull our eyes away from the political process and our representatives to the production of consumers who conserve consumers. Otherwise, the contradictions of democracy and empire, the inherent contradictions of democracy and empire, would be so blatant it would be insupportable. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that Washington never told a lie. I learned that soldiers seldom die. I learned that everybody's free. That's what the teacher said to me. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that policemen are my friends. I learned that justice never ends. I learned that murderers die for the crimes, even if we make a mistake sometime. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned our government must be strong. It's always right and never wrong. Our leaders are the finest men, and we elect them again and again. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school. What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? What did you learn in school today, dear little boy of mine? I learned that war is not so bad. I learned about the great ones we have had. We fought in Germany and in France, and someday I might get my chance. And that's what I learned in school today. That's what I learned in school.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. So um, you just heard, well, you heard What Did You Learn in School Today? And before that, you heard a clip from Toni Morrison speaking in Chicago in 1991. Um, She said, I think there's a lot in that clip to unpack, and I think one thing that struck us here in the studio was um, this idea of the contradictions of democracy and empire. And um, maybe, like, what do you guys think about that? I think um, what I've been thinking about is the consumerism of what we're taught that we have to be purchasers and and or buyers, and that if that's the the you know the ultimatum, what we're all going to part- be as participants in this world is either a consumer or a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's what we teach in our classrooms, and that when children realize that, it's deadening. Um, that's what I heard from Tony. Yeah, and I think about. Um like for me, if I start to think about what does this word empire mean, um, it has a lot to do with what Toni Morrison said about um, the bloodshed of creating an industrialized world has fallen on the global south um, and the ways in which people are exploited around the world. Uh, is part of this empire and is part of consumerism. How do we get the resources to keep on producing? How do we get the cheap labor to keep on producing? Um, And we is the wrong word to use because it's not us who are making those decisions about production. But it is um, workers all around the world who are affected by that. And so then we ask our students to be part of this so-called democracy in which you need thoughtful, engaged people who help to hold the government accountable um, to the people and if our young kids are not learning what is actually happening around the world then that to me is part of the contradiction of democracy and empire yeah and part of the requirement of empire is that there's a small amount of people who own and control the resources and they are pillaging the resources of the world and so if in that context the, there isn't an expectation or a desire on the part of people who own and control the resources of the world that children grow up to be creative actors in the world who are deciding together how they want the world to live in. They live in to look. They want them to plug in to the world that is handed to them. And I think that I feel that every day, which is how are we going to teach children to plug in to the world that already exists. Mm-hmm. What a great segue, Kelly, um, because the climate march is going on on this coming Friday. Um, this is a march that has been organized by students. It's all over the state of Vermont. Um, all over the world. I'm, and yes. Yeah, the global climate. <laughs> and um, so Becca has interviewed a Montpelier High School student, Will, who is participating in the organization of that student-led climate strike at Montpelier High School. And so we'll listen to Will talk a little bit about um, that process. Thanks so much for listening. Hello. We have Will Horace on the phone today with us from Montpelier. Thanks so much for joining us on Indigo Radio. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. So um, I'm a student at Montpelier High School. Uh, I 
spend most of my time either at school or uh, every week I work at a forest school program in Underhill, Vermont, which is kind of like a little little nature school out in the woods. That's great. And you've been part of organizing the global climate strike for um, in Montpelier. Can you talk a little bit about what this global climate strike is on September 20th and why you're yeah. participating? Mm-hmm. So the the plan for this coming Friday is then we're all going to meet at Montpelier High School and march to City Hall uh, in Montpelier. And we're going to have some speeches or like a little rally, maybe do some other stuff. But that's kind of the general plan. Um, and we have kind of four points that, uh, we've talked about in the planning process that we would really like um, people to know about, which is um, the, like, uh, some people have called them demands. Um, I, I think of them more as uh, things that we, we really have to think about if we want to make some changes and survive as a race. Um, and those are the uh, economy, um, the economy potentially um, failing, and uh, the food system potentially failing, and how we can change these things uh, to support each other and to support life on this planet. And kind of with those, um, educating people, young and old, on climate change. And, yeah, so that people are uh, in the know and informed about how they can help and what's going on. And then also um, just uh, sustainability and like livable livable um circumstances in society where you know our air is clean oceans clean water's clean everything is uh in a state where we can actually survive off of it That's great it sounds like something that all people should kind of buy into right now in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So what's the organizing look like for you all, both inside of school and outside of school? Um, outside of school, I've mostly been a part of outside of school. Um, outside of school, we've had some meetings every week and some different trainings um, from um, older activists. Uh, about like what to do in certain circumstances, how to inspire people, how to get people, um, you know, hyped up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so there's, there's been a lot of like preparation and talking about like different options that we have for the actual, um, march and strike. Uh, yeah, 
and then in school, there's it's kind of been hush hush because the teachers aren't totally on board. There there was one teacher who we thought was on board, and it turns out that he didn't really want to do the whole thing. So it's been kind of flying under the radar. Wow. So do you feel like your school supports you, um, not just in this March, but in general, supports young people in making changes in the world? Um, I think that there are definitely people in the school who support us um, in both of those ways. Um, but I feel as though there's there's a lot of con- potential consequences that come from the actual like school district for those teachers um, if they were to support us more openly. So... I, I think I think that there are definitely people who support us, but they're maybe not not able to do it very openly. Yeah. And so, as a school district, are there? Do you know if there's consequences for students who are walking out or not? Um, I don't think there's any consequences for students. I mean, we're marked absent. Um, as though we were skipping school, but other than that, I I haven't heard of any like out of the norm consequences. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this with us, and hopefully, more students will be inspired to organize something in their schools from in in what you all are doing in Montpelier. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio. Um, We're doing a show today on building community in our schools in the climate of mandates and testing. And you just heard an interview with Will, who's a student in Montpelier, who's part of organizing the climate strike on the 20th. You know, I think it's really interesting that we talk a lot about supporting young people and building community. and yet the biggest crisis facing all of humanity right now is something that we are not um, teaching about necessarily. It's not a part of our, this should be the theme for every school this year is how do we take action against climate change? And to hear Will say that teachers, he can tell already that teachers are afraid of supporting it or that they're going to get in trouble for supporting it. I just think about what kind of message does that send to our young kids? Here we say, we're teaching you all these skills to find your voice in the world, and yet when you are organizing, we have to stay silent, and that feels really wrong. Yeah, and I I teach third grade, and climate and weather is a science standard in third grade, and the standard, it's the national standards. In big red letters under where it says climate and weather, it says this is not about climate change, like climate change is not covered. But when we had our first discussion about climate uh, this past week, the first thing that came up was climate change and how worried kids are about it. And so that I see it like right there, that opposing force between don't talk about it and kids are like, it keeps them up at night and they're eight years old. Mm -hmm. We'll take a short break and play a song called the climate song from the global strike for our future last March. Um, And then we'll be back on Indigo Radio.
Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, your community radio station, WVEWLP Brattleboro. I said that a little backwards. Um, But today we're talking about um, creating community in our classrooms and in our schools and in our world. And on the line, we have a teacher, an elementary school teacher. Um, Thank you so much. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Oh, wonderful. So great when technology works. <laughs> so um, we wanted to hear from, from you about um, creating community in your classroom. So what does community mean to you in your classroom? Well, it's establishing our group, at our classroom, as not just the individuals who came in from different classes from the previous year, but making us a unit that'll work together and having us be successful, um, learning how to get along in that classroom space um, and just being able to move forward in a productive way. And that's mostly what community means to me. Sure. And what, what things do you see as supporting the building of community in your school or in your classroom in particular? Well, we're given time at the beginning of the year um, to follow the responsive classroom model, at least somewhat. And um, so we're establishing the classroom rules, and um, I think that helps. So, so being able to start off a little slower than just jumping right into hardcore academics is a good thing that helps establish that. And do you see, how do you see it um, being able to sort of uh, continue or not continue as you do start those hardcore ac- academics? Well, hopefully we've been able to lay the groundwork pretty well. So um, I'll just, I'm, I know I'll just do a lot of review as time goes on with a lot of um, problem solving that I need to. But being able to meet, I meet with the kids in the morning and at the, have a closing circle at the end of the day and having those two touchstone type of activities um, really does help. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of informal stuff during the day. You really have to just keep your eyes open all the time and you're, you know, be listening constantly to all the little things that are going on in the room and, you know, looking at, you know, who's getting along with whom and, and uh, just really be aware, looking a lot for, before you get a problem, look for what might potentially become an, an issue. Because I want everyone, obviously I want everybody to not just be safe, I want them to be learners. I also want them to be happy. I want them to enjoy coming to school. Mm. I'm glad it's a big part that. of their day. And are there things, you know, within the school or just the school system in general, and anything that can somehow go against the building of that kind of community in, in your classroom? Well, I, w- I was um, thinking about that, too. And just as, like, you, you've heard about parents who overly schedule their kids' lives so they don't have any free time. I think if we, we have to guard against, I think, overscheduling the academic part and not allowing time for some of the downtime for the children, because I, I think also with building community, it happens also in the unstructured times of the day. Um, like, how are they getting along with each other? If, if they're having recess, who are they playing with or who's maybe not playing with anybody? Mm. Um, who feels left out? Um, I'm sorry, I keep saying um. <laughs> but uh, the who, how do they how do they deal with somebody coming wanting to join their group? Do they let that person in? Do they leave the person out? I, I'm very concerned always about the potential for um, any sort of situation where somebody might feel bullied, and I really want to be on top of those things. And some of the kids who 
are potentially a victim are not the ones who are going to speak up. Hmm. And so we really need to watch those things ourselves. And and we do a lot of role play in our class um, with what would happen if I was playing by myself and nobody, I, you know, I was feeling sad and, you know, getting the children to to show how they would invite somebody into their group. Mm-hmm. You know, practicing all the time doesn't always work. We have to practice again and again because, you know, sometimes when the reality hits, they still leave people out. But, you know, just having them learn that we're all in this together and we want to make it so everybody feels safe and happy at school. Do you feel like that we're all in this together and we all, you know, need to be part of this classroom community? Do you feel like that's something that, um, you know, that message repeats itself after elementary school, through high school, through adulthood, um, in the job world? Uh, What are your thoughts on that? Well, well, I hope it does. I, I, I listened to the Toni Morrison thing, too. That was really pretty depressing, um, <laughs> especially when we look at the um, a couple of things that I was thinking of. And were, I'm looking at the, the 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, and communication as, you know, mm-hmm. the, four cor- the four C's of it, and how just trying to raise some, like, little worker bees really seemed awful. I mean, that's not what I signed up for when I became an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, and also thinking of the children, like I'm, I, as you know, are early, I'm early elementary. Um, the, the kids are going, and I, I was talking to my students last year, we had a presentation by a wonderful engineer who came in and showed us some stuff. I was saying to the kids, you, some of you are going to have jobs that haven't been invented yet. So how are we going to expect them to plug into something we already have mm-hmm. if they're going to have, they're going to, have jobs that you and I don't even know about now. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and I want them to be be creative and to innovative. And I think we as educators, particularly in public education, we should be the champions of risk-taking and supporting that. And this doesn't sound like it's doing that. Or looking at people as individuals and, and looking at their strengths. And, and sure, we all have areas that we need to work on, but but leveraging those strengths that the children have as well, you know, and helping them capitalize on that. Um, so, I, yeah, I just thought that the, what Tony Morrison, I think she was right on, but I think it was, was that pretty sad. Right. Do you, yeah. how, other than in your classroom, how do you advocate for that in your school or in your school district? Um, trying to speak to the right people and have conversations with um, people to express my opinions hopefully in a very thoughtful and you know respectful manner and um talking you know again talking with others and and coming from a point of child development and what's best for kids i've been doing this for i think this is my 17th year so i mean i've been doing it for a while i don't know everything obviously i'm happy to admit i'm a lifelong learner as well and and can learn every day often from the children i learn from them too um and hopefully just having conversations because we have to be able to talk and hopefully make an impact. And I want the children to feel that their words have impact too and that what they do, that they can make a difference even now with things that they talk about, you know, just listening and valuing what people say. I agree. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for calling in. It's um, wonderful. I know in addition to a teacher, you're also a mother and a grandmother. And I think that's, uh-huh. yeah. um, it's important to hear from, from those perspectives as well. So thank you so much for calling in. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah. Okay. Thank you too. Thanks. Bye-bye. So 
That was a lower elementary school teacher um, talking about building community in her classroom. And now we're going to go to a middle grade, fourth grade teacher um, who also will be discussing building community in her classroom and her school. What does community mean to you, both in the classroom or in general? Sure. Um, I mean, community to me in and outside of the school are the same thing, right? Um, this means kind of co-creating a place where all the members of the group feel, you know, safe. It's kind of a cliche thing, but if you examine what safety is, you know, you, you want to feel seen, you want to feel known, you want to be heard, you want there to be space to share your experiences. Um, so I feel like that's what a community is like in your neighborhood, in your school, in your, you know, community groups or, you know, activist groups or wherever. Um, and so in a classroom, to me, it means more than just the lip servicey. We're a community. We're you know community fourth graders, and you know just sort of using the words. You really have to do the work to build with students what safety feels like to them, you know, and um, and you have to do it beyond the first couple weeks of school. So you've got a lot of kids who are probably a little nervous and don't totally know what you mean and might need a different way of talking with you outside of a one group conversation one day the first day of school and just kind of build it as you go. I have a, I usually do a classroom bill of rights or like a classroom rights declaration that we build together and add on and sign and um, that tends to work well for, for our classroom because I can mm -hmm. go back to it and be like, hey, are we honoring our community members right now? Let's check it out. And I think it's, there's more buy-in because it was co-built. Yeah. A lot of times they bring up the same stuff. You know, they want to be able to do engaging, fun things. They want to be able to use technology. They want to be able to, you know, have breaks and all that good stuff. So it tends to look a lot like year after year, the years that I've done it. Yeah. It should tell us something, right? Right. Um, what structures do you see as supporting the building of community in our schools? You know... I'm thinking a lot about it, and, and I feel like there's two ways of looking at it. First, and this is the best scenarios that I've had, for people who feel like they really know how to build community, we just need to have people who are hands-off that just tell us, they trust you and do this community building work. So if that means, like, for example, when I was teaching in a predominantly Puerto Rican school when Hurricane Maria happened, I was given the time to basically do therapeutic drawing sessions and writing letters to family members and prayers to family members the first days where you didn't know what was happening to your family. Mm -hmm. So getting the space to do that, I was given the space to do that somewhat, but then I was cracked down on because it was took too much out of curriculum. Um, in a, but in even a better scenario, I've had, you know, admins largely leave me alone to do what I want to do to make the classroom uh, community the way that the kids and I wanted to do it. Um, the other side of that is maybe there's teachers that just don't really know how to build community, and I think mm -hmm. that they, a structure that would help would be something that could support them in doing that. You know, they don't just need the time if they're not sure what to do. And, you know, there's yeah. books, of course, but um, if it's a really, really, really important thing and you're the, uh, you know, administrator or principal of the school, then call an hour-long meeting during a PD day where, you know, People are getting paid and say, hey, let's brainstorm ideas to create community in classrooms so that 
you know, folks who are unsure of how to do it really feel supported. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen the latter happen that I recall. But mm-hmm. at worst, you know, the structures that really get in the way, and I've seen this, is when you're given the same lip service to build this community, but then you're barked at for, you know, the standard space. You're not, you know, I need, I, I used to have to post the schedule and then post the lesson plans for the schedule. Yeah. And if you, if they came in and you weren't teaching the standards that were on your lesson plan, it was fucked, you know. I mean, you were noted. That was noted in your evaluations. And, you know, that's just not how teaching works. It's not how anything works, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think structure needs, the structures need to be given, give us the space and trust or give us some help. Mm-hmm. Maybe talking to people who know how to build community well. Let a teacher be a mentor to another teacher um, on how to do that kind of work, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what you talked about it a little bit, but what structures do you think go against the building of community in our schools? I think really um, intense schedule expectations are really, they just don't, they don't allow for, you know, that non-standards-based work that is required to have a really positive learning environment. And mm-hmm. last year, I had, there was a PD, we had the, the speaker come in and talk about social-emotional learning and all of the ways that it's actually social-emotional skills that create success in, you know, achieving any of the things that you want a student to achieve in school. Mm-hmm. And then aside from that, there was not really any more talk of it. So, I mean, I guess there was a visitor who came to the school and did talk with us, um, you know, here and there about it. But there needs to be more kind of ongoing collaboration time, I think, between teachers. We don't mm-hmm. necessarily need someone to come in and tell us, um, you know, how to do social emotional work in our classroom we need to talk yeah. to each other and hear what works because we're all working in the same setting same building same schedules similar schedules right um and i mean i think that's uh you know connects to what we were talking about earlier not on this call but just uh you know the expectations of what we are going to achieve versus the realities of our schedule and yeah. over the summer i did this great workshops paid work you know paid by the school district to do all this examining of what learning social studies in classrooms looks like and how you know we didn't talk about standards right like and i feel so ridiculous that i keep bringing up standards like i don't talk about standards mm-hmm. in my regular life but that's just what you know that's the way that we're taught to talk about teaching children now is that we're, that we're teaching them the right stuff right yeah. so at this social studies workshop, we didn't talk about what are we teaching them. We're, we taught up, talked about, we didn't talk about content, right? We talked about what do we want them to know how to do. And it was we want them to ask questions. We want them to have this connect to them, their lives. We want them to it, do their own inquiry and, and, and do their own research and, and just really dig into topics that feel relevant. And, mm-hmm. and then so I went from there to, you know, writing some curriculum and finding some texts and feeling pretty good about it than to coming to school this year with no um, allotted social studies time in our schedule. And yeah. it, the, the assumption was that it would be folded into ELA, but what we're expected to accomplish in ELA didn't, like, didn't lessen at all. And they're not, you know, these standards of, uh, like, inquiry, they're not the same as writing and reading, 
We didn't yeah. necessarily want to write and read about social studies. We wanted them to be given a prop, an item, and say, what do you think this is for? Touch it, feel it, look mm-hmm. at it, talk to your friends about it, let's watch a clip about someone using it, and then figure out how this might be useful and why it's different from mm-hmm. what we use now, right? That would be a social mm-hmm. studies inquiry. That would be meaningful, and I can only imagine would be totally the highlight of a, of a day or a week or a year for a student, but yeah. we, we're not given the time to do that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the year, those are the types of things that students remember, and those are the things that are community building, and just the schedule does not allow for it. It really, it really doesn't. And, and I, in the past, you know, I've worked with the same school now uh, prior to this year, and I never felt like that I was come down on for how I used to flex the schedule mm-hmm. and fit in things <clears throat> that I felt were important that the students felt were important. Yeah. But, you know, every year is different, and who knows what the principals are getting from the higher-ups to put the pressure on us to change. You know, you just never really... Never really know. <laughs> Welcome back. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. You've been listening to Indigo Radio on the air every Sunday from noon to one. And today's show, um, we've been focusing on building community and the contradictions of building community in our classrooms and our schools. So you just heard from a, a fourth grade teacher um, discuss building community in her classroom. And um, Becca, can you also, we've had a lower elementary, a fourth grade teacher, you're a middle school teacher. Can you talk a little bit about building community in your own class? Sure. Um, Well, I have to say, first of all, that I think my school at the middle school level in Springfield does a really good job um, about focusing on the idea of community. Um, We have a school-wide restorative justice community circles that are built into our advisory now that um, we're getting professional development for and we're talking about um, our whole advisory program is around building community. And so it's the only time really in the day that sixth, seventh and eighth graders get to interact with one another. And so I love that there's a focus put on specifically the starting at the beginning of the day with a focus on building community. The challenge is that we don't talk about the ways in which every other part of our day contradict the ideas of building community. Um, and what I mean by that is we talk about students sometimes who are not following the rules in school as if they are not part of our community. Um, so they are students who are being pushed out of classes, who are being pushed out of the school in and of itself. Um, and I don't think we have the support set up to really welcome kids back and make them a part of our community when they have had to leave class. Um, And so I wonder sometimes of who we mean by our community in the classroom. Um, That's something that I struggle with a lot. And I think there are other messages throughout the day about who is our community and who isn't our community. You know, for example, when I hear kids say that Trump's doing a good job because he's building a wall and keeping out diseases. If we are not countering that narrative, then who are the kids learning are part of our community in the United States? And beyond and in the world? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about how um, 
one of the things that the second, the fourth grade teacher mentioned was um, some teachers feel confident about it and some teachers it's like you don't necessarily know. And I actually connect to that and I want to connect back to what Toni Morrison said about school training humans to be um, producers and consumers and how we all went through that schooling. Even if we developed critical thinking and are really questioning that and want a different world, that what community looks like, like where I live, does exactly what you said, Becca. It's like the, so many of the relationships I have, like in my town, for example, are around buying and selling things. Um, and that we're not doing things together where we're creating things together and we're envisioning things together and we're getting to know each other through um, like being the being in charge of our own lives and how we organize each other because that is not how human society is organized. And so for me as a teacher, it it was a stretch and it still is a stretch to even try to understand what community looks like because I don't feel like um, a system based on profit and buying and selling things is true, authentic human community. I was reminded of a conversation I had with a second grader on the playground the other day. He said, um, as part of a conversation, well, all food should be free because everybody needs to eat to live. And it's interesting to hear from different second graders who are seven or eight, um, some of whom already would disagree with his statement. Yeah. And, and how am I actively teaching what this student is saying or how am I actively teaching the other narrative of, no, you need to work hard and you know, make money to buy your own food and everyone is for his or her, him or herself. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... Um, as a social studies teacher, I think sometimes it's easier for me to incorporate um, the idea of building community into the content that I'm teaching. And so we play a game at the beginning of the year that's a cooperative game that the only way they can win is if everyone's working together. And I ask students, why are we playing this game? And they know exactly why. Even though they have a hard time coming, like, practicing and figuring out how to work together they know exactly why working together connects to their schoolwork Um, and so I think it's also interesting too we can learn about other people throughout history and throughout the world like I'm teaching about the Tainos um, and talking about what what would it look like if we all um, cooperated in our work what would it look like if we all shared the benefit of what is um, what happens in our classroom and kids often say, wow, I wish our world was like this. And so for me, um, it's really sad and upsetting to hear that across the country right now, social studies is being taken out of the elementary school curriculums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I, I would parallel what the fourth grade teacher said in her interview that the the Um, schedules that we have do not make time except on one day a week there's a 45 minute time slot of possibility of integrating science or other studies into the curriculum so that one 45 minute slot you might possibly be able to do that out of your whole five day week it's not just at my school it's you know it's everywhere um yeah I mean I feel like I heard both of those teachers talk about relationships 
the relationships in the classroom and that is the community is the relationships and I just think about the all the ways that I'm I feel like I'm pitted against the kids with the really controlled scheduling and the amount of mandates and curriculum we have to cover and benchmarks the kids have to meet um and how I find myself staying, saying stuff like, come on, you guys, we're almost done with this. We only have a few more words. Like, please stop talking. Um, like, all the time. And that because we're all kind of, we're all struggling with it or saying, you know, you guys are still talking in line. We're waiting because we're so scheduled that it's like any, even if you miss three minutes, it's like that feels like huge. And I would say, too, I mean, there's plenty of ways to play with words, for example, to learn phonological skills or phonemic awareness um, that can incorporate social studies and the sciences and mathematics um, and group work and teamwork and Mm -hmm. just playing games and solving problems together with words can teach phonics and phonemic awareness, for example. That's not necessarily a scripted curriculum. Um, And I think um, we also... We do have so many um, teachers who have been teaching for so long and who have taught through all sorts of changes in curriculum um, who are really knowledgeable. Um, and so tapping into the expertise of the professionals in our building, I think, yeah. is important, too. But I would say the very idea of testing promotes the individual competition mm. that is inherent under the capitalist economic system that we live in. And that really is the main contradiction to building community in our schools. So with that, we are going to go to a song break called Not On The Test, and we will be back with Indigo Radio. Go on to sleep now, third grader of mine. The test is tomorrow, but you'll do just fine. It's reading and math, forget all the rest. You don't need to know what is not on the test. Each box that you mark on each test that you take. Remember your teachers, their jobs are at stake. Your score is their score, but don't get all stressed. They'd never teach anything not on the test. The school board is faced with no child left behind. With rules but no funding, they're caught in a bind. So music and art and the things you love best are not in your school because they're not on the test. Sleep, sleep, and as you progress, you'll learn there's a lot that is not on the test. Debate is a skill that is useful to know, unless you're in Congress or talk radio, where shouting and spouting and spewing are blessed. Because rational discourse was not on the test. Thinking's important, it's good to know how. And someday you'll learn to, but someday's not now. Go on to sleep now, you need your rest. Don't think about thinking, it's not on the test.
Welcome back. You're listening to WBEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. This is Indigo Radio on the air every Sunday from noon to one. We're a group of educators, um, local and outside of the very local area. Um, and our show today has been about um, building classroom community and if that's possible in a world that encourages competition and divisions. So I think um, for me, some of my final thoughts about the show are that in the um, ways in which we build community in our school, it's not separated from the world we live in. That I don't want my students to believe that there is freedom and justice for all that they recite in the Pledge of Allegiance when that's not actually the reality of most people in this world. And so how do we talk to our students about what's happening in the world as a way to come together and let them have more of a collective voice as the youth to say, I want a different world. And I think through those conversations, that feels to me the most genuine way to build community. Yeah, and I, I feel like as teachers, this conversation of making relevant, making education relevant to our students is, needs to be on the forefront of our conversations. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to um, wrap up pretty shortly. Um, we have an announcement to make, though. Becca, could you tell us about what's coming up shortly with Indigo? Sure. Um, there's a monthly film s- series starting September 21st. That's a, this Saturday at 5 p.m., We're showing the 2017 documentary, Do Not Resist, about policing in the U.S. at the Brattleboro Savings and Loans Community Room. Discussion to follow with bread and soup provided. And when you go to the Brattleboro Savings and Loan Bank, um, it's through the back entrance um, this Friday, sorry, this Saturday, the 21st. Um, And you can find more information on our Facebook page as well. And don't forget to follow the youth climate strike this Friday on the 20th of September. I, I feel like that is watching youth organize and walk out of their schools is something that gives me hope. Well, and just to clarify, a lot of these strikes are led by youth, but this is actually a global strike where workers are walking off of the workplace as well. So it's people of all ages who are participating in the strike um, and leaving work for the day to say enough is enough, something needs to be done. So to go out, we're going to listen to a couple more minutes of the Toni Morrison lecture um, from 1991 that we started the the day with, the show with, um, and then we'll play a song, and we hope that you will um, join us again next Sunday um, on Indigo Radio. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you. Our lists of priorities in the nation seldom include how to function in disparate communities. Disparate communities, not clubs or teams. How to be alone and competent in solitude. How to nurture friendship rather than how to network. How to approach and perceive beauty. 
how to approach and perceive beauty, not how to sell, collect it, or exclude it from others. How to inhabit the body, not how to reconstruct, decorate, or simply medicate it. How to discriminate among various truths and their claims. How to narrate the self. How to articulate and inform one's own experience, not how the self is spoken of, but how it speaks its own existence without erasing another's. Most importantly, how to think about the quality of the quality of life. How to receive tremendous joy from problem solving when the problems to be solved involve the improvement of real lives lived here on this planet. How to discover that one is humanized from the participation in and contemplation of art and cultures and other aesthetic hierarchies, and that these contemplations are not leisure vacation activities, but major pursuits among all classes and groups. The unmistakable drift of the schooled and the unschooled education is away from life toward lifestyle.
obvious, he's straight out racist. The sucker was simple and plain. I'm a fucking ninja, Wayne. Cause I'm black and I'm black. I'm I'm amped. Most of my heroes don't appear in no stamp. Simple, look at you, look at my numbers. I read it for 400 years that you text. Don't worry, me, I was a number one fan. This is DJ Megaseg. Listen to my show here on WVWLP Brattleboro, 1077 FM or 